friends, it's good to be together in the house of the Lord, and um, we've already been so richly blessed. I want to remind us where we are. Um, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible, and we're also going to be looking at a section from Hebrews 11. And for um, those of you that have um, been with us for a few weeks, this is review. Review is always good. Um, And for those of you that are here for the first time in a long time, um, welcome. And I want to tell you where we've been. Um, We're talking about looking at faith. And so faith is trust in action. And faith has this sense of inner assurance, like our beliefs, and also putting those um, beliefs into action. So you remember the zero gravity chair? I believe this chair can hold me up. I believe I can tip back in it without tipping over. And um, I can believe that in my mind, but until I sit in it, I'm not putting my trust in action. In the same way, we have these promises of God, and we can have cognitive belief that faith is actually putting into action and trusting his promises. Last week, we looked at Noah. Faith was demonstrated by righteous living. And so Noah was believing God. He was living his life to please the Lord. And um, it involved paying attention to God's warnings and also paying attention and following God's instructions. And today we're going to look at um, Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah. God changed their names partway through at a different season in their life, and I may use them interchangeably. But today I believe the Lord wants to speak to all of us about faith and stir our faith and grow our faith But I believe he wants to speak to two particular groups of us um, in particular, those that are risk averse. You don't like to take risk. Anybody? You don't have to put up your hand. I see a couple of hands already going up. All right. And then those who love the comfort of the familiar. All right. Um, God wants us to trust in his goodness so much that we will be radically obedient to his calling. And so um, I want to read the scripture from Genesis 12, 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. 
and then from Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 12. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And now I pray that you would quicken us to be sensitive to the promptings of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would open your word and help us to understand, to receive from you, and to respond to you by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to tell you a little bit about what was familiar for Abram and Sarai. What was familiar is their family line. They came from the line of Noah. You remember Noah? Those of you that are familiar with the Bible, these stories are familiar and it's a reminder. Um, For those of you that aren't, you may hear some things today, and I just want to encourage you, even those um, children's story books, Bible story books, amazing way to learn about the different characters of the Bible. But Noah had three sons. He was saved by God in a boat from a flood that destroyed all the earth. And from these three sons and their wives... They were called to go and um, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, generations passed, and Noah's line goes down right straight to Abraham. And yet, what is the world like? They're not um, representing and telling the story of God's grace and mercy and saving them. All of a sudden, the earth is just filled with lawlessness and worship of other deities And in chapter 11, um, if you remember in Genesis, they built that Tower of Babel, calling out on other gods and trying to make their name great rather than trying to make God's name great who had saved them, right? Remember, this is their family line. And so on the scene here, God all of a sudden calls out Abram and Sarai to be role models of obedience and to make God's name great as he would make their name great. All right, so that's familiar. That's their family history. Another thing that was familiar to them was their pagan culture. In their culture, the um, father, he was from the land of um, Ur of the Chaldeans, and it was a pagan culture. They worshipped the moon god Sin. They also had deities. They believed these gods. They had a country god, so they worshipped the, the god of the nation or the city. They had a family god, so they worshipped the clan god. And then their father's household would also have an assigned um, deities, and it was actually their ancestors. So ancestor worship, this goes back to that. And this is the way that they believe they secured their position for the afterlife, was having their family members pray for them to them. 
All right, this was familiar. This was what Abraham and Sarah, this was their culture. Also, it was a patriarchal culture. So the oldest man, the father of the household, they all lived with him. As the sons got wives, they added on to the house. And this was their security for their social welfare, their food, their um, what, how they worked or gave service to the, um, the neighborhood, the care of the aging, the workers. It all centered around the oldest man. And then also familiar to their culture is the shame of barrenness. And so barrenness was seen as hopelessness because if the wife was not able to conceive, then the family line stopped with that generation. And so you can see how that Sarai lived with shame because she wasn't able to fulfill what she viewed and what culture viewed as her societal responsibility. And so day and night, she lived with shame. This is the background where God's redemptive story and good news starts to break in. But it involves risk, and it involves the loss of everything that's familiar. So it starts with a call, and it starts with a promise. And so in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now, I just told you their background, so now you understand how all of a sudden Yahweh is choosing them, but he's calling them to go away from everything that's familiar to them, and all of their identity was wrapped up there, but he's going to start reforming creation, and the transformation of the nations is God's plan right through this couple. There's a seven-point promise in verses 2 and 3. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing, or it can also be translated, you'll be seen as blessed. Also, I'll bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I'll curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Seven-point promise. God's plan is unfamiliar for several reasons. First, Yahweh is unique in that he's making a promise, and deities in the ancient world were not promise makers. They didn't create covenants. A covenant was a legal binding contract between two or more parties. And in the pagan religions, there was no assurance of being blessed. The people were just striving to please the gods. They were doing all the work, hoping that their hard work and their offerings would get well-being, prosperity, security, prominence. And here God comes and says, I'm going to make you a promise. And then I'm going to trust that as you're blessed, you'll be devoted and loyal to me and serve me because of gratitude. Yahweh's also unique in that he comes and appears to Abraham. Um, the other people that are serving these other deities are building these great big structures with um, stairs all the way down, hoping that their God will somehow someday be pleased enough to come down to them. And Abram has this revelation that the Lord appears to him. And so that, too, is a great, conquest, a, a great um, contrast. It's not familiar. Now, God's plan requires obedience. And it requires risk. Walter Brueggemann says this, 
Faith is the capacity to embrace the announced future with such passion that the present can be relinquished for the sake of the future. We can let go of what's now because we're so excited about what's to come. Faith involves letting go and taking risk. I want to talk about abandonment, relinquishment, and renunciation for just a minute. Abandonment, letting go. Abraham and Sarah are going to let go and let God take them to a different place. A place they've never been and they don't know the way. It's 500 miles from Haran, modern-day Turkey, north of the Syrian border, down to the south, which is Canaan, which is, includes modern-day Israel. All right? 500 miles. If you're going at caravan rate, remember, we don't have helicopters, airplanes, motorcycles, cars. Um, one month of not knowing where you're going and letting God guide you if you're going 20 miles per day. And I think that's a pretty good walk, 20 miles a day. It might have taken longer than a month of letting God lead you where you don't know where you're going. It's relinquishment to all other forms of security. And as I mentioned already, everything revolved around the father's household and land. And all of a sudden, they're giving up every part of their security and their identity to follow God's call. It also is renunciation. God calls for cutting the ties with all the other deities. I'm going to be your God, but you need to let go of the country God, the family God, the ancestral deities. I'll fill the void. Everything that you feel you lost or gave up, I'm going to more than compensate for. I'm going to fill the void. To leave in risk is to have hope for the future. Bigger than one can imagine. And if we look at the story of Sarah and Abraham, we see that they didn't even comprehend all the greatness of what God was going to do in the place where they would receive this inheritance. God is setting up Israel's future and world history through one couple that's willing to take a risk. By agreeing to go to Canaan, he's setting up his people in a place of his choosing to establish a God-centered, moral nation that would be the focus of world history and a major part of um, events over the years. The pursuit of God's promise is never one generation because, as we see in Hebrews 11, his heirs were also being loyal to God and serving God as they were waiting for the fullness of the promises to be fulfilled. They put their trust in God's trustworthiness. Abraham and Sarah headed out to a better world of God's making. No matter that Abraham and Sarah were old and past childbearing years, they're choosing to walk toward God and walk toward his promises. They're choosing a promise that's somehow going to bless the nations because don't you know it hurt their heart? To see people year after year trying to serve these deities and all the brokenness that was happening around them. And they thought, there's got to be a better way. And I'm going to trust God. And somehow he's going to use my life to bring blessing to others. Now I want to take a minute to talk about obedience. You all like that word, obedience? Mm -hmm. 
All right, we're going to talk about obedience a minute and how Abraham and Sarah model obedience. Obedience, you can define it as compliance with an order. It's a dutiful submission behavior out of respect for a person. Obedience is willing to obey. If you're a parent and you have children that are playing with toys on the floor and you say, it's time to clean up now, you can start singing the song, clean up, clean up, you know, or whatever. Um, But you want them to not just go through the motion. I mean, you do want them to stop what they're doing and start to clean up. But even more, it pleases your heart when they're willing and when um, they do it because they love you and they respect you rather than just shoot. Got to clean up now. All right. Characteristics of obedience that Abraham modeled in his life prompt compliance to an order. When God called him to go to the land I'll show you, then Abraham went as the Lord had told him. They set out for the land and they arrived there. He didn't know where he was going, but step by step, with God's guidance, he got there. And so he was compliant with the order. Come, go, and he he went. All right, there was complete obedience. Abram surrendered everything. He held nothing back from God. He surrendered not only his identity and his security, but he surrendered his body. When God said, this is going to be the sign of my covenant, you're going to be circumcised that day. Abram went out and got circumcised along with all the men in his um, household, Genesis 17. There was also a reverence to his obedience. He honored God and trusted his wisdom, even when it defied his own logic. And so when God called him to offer Isaac this long-awaited-for son, that day, early that morning, he got up to go because he believed that, okay, Maybe God is going to resurrect him, but I'm going to be obedient to him. And the Lord, as you, those of you that know the story, there was no need to sacrifice his son. The Lord provided a ram, a picture of how Jesus would be the substitute for the punishment that we deserved. His obedience, it was complete, it was respectful, and um, it was prompt. Now, I'm not painting out Abraham to be perfect. You know, when he had that side trip to Egypt and they noticed his wife was beautiful, he's like, oh, tell him you're my sister. All right. And then when they went to plan B because God's plans were taking much longer than they thought, then there's Ishmael that shows up on the scene and Abram wanted to cling to him. But God had a different plan. And so Abram wasn't perfect, but he was a foreshadowing of obedient, faithful obedience to God in the picture and the life of Jesus, who was called to leave a place where he was very familiar, to come to a land that his father would show him. He'd walk in blessing, and he'd be a blessing, and he had to trust God. And his purposes. And then he turns around to us and he says, Go, go and make disciples. So we have this perfect example of faith in obedience in Jesus. Jesus was sustained in his obedience. You remember this. He would go away to pray. 
and worship. And we see this in Abraham's story as well. And I want to just say a few things about this. Verses um, 6 to 8 again. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah of Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I'll give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on to the hills with Bethel on one side, A on the other. And there he builds an altar also and calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord is sustaining him through worship and prayer because he met obstacles early on. These few verses point out some obstacles. Canaan had inhabitants. And remember, this was supposed to be a land that God was going to give to Abraham. And so I imagine Abraham was wondering, how is this going to become mine? He had an obstacle. People are there. If you're offered some land and then you go and you see that there's a house built on it and there's people living there, you know, it's kind of like, whoa. All right. Then he goes, it says, to this great tree at Mora. Well, what that tree represents is there was a famous pagan sanctuary at Shechem. And so there's false religions. And I wonder, did at that point Abram wonder, is this God that I'm following real? Or, you know, like he would be tempted to go back to the familiar again, I'm guessing. Isn't it wonderful and gracious of God to appear to him there and to reassure him, I am real, I am with you, my promises are real. And so... Abram builds an altar at that place, and he marks it as a place of encounter with the Lord. He puts a pile of stones and dirt and builds it as a memorial. One more thing that we see in these verses is that it was between these two cities that it mentions. Bethel means the house of God, and A means the ruins. Well, how many of us are sitting in a place between the house of God and the ruins And we're wondering, how is transformation? How is the gospel transformation going to happen? And so here he's met these obstacles, these things that would challenge him in his faith, not to mention that day by day he's getting older and there's no children yet to help carry on the work. Abraham, at that point, he calls on the name of the Lord. Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, is properly your God. And so who does he rely on? He relies on God. And Abraham builds an altar to the Lord. It's a place where he's prayed and he's worshipped. It's a reminder of God's promises to bless. And it's even a landmarker. In Joshua, they would build an altar sometimes to say, this land is, is, um, this is who owns it. This is God's land. All right? I was reading a translation of the Torah. It's called the five books of Moses while I was studying for this sermon. And in verses 7 and 8, it translates altar as slaughter site. And so it says, Yahweh was seen by Abraham and said, I will give this land to your seed. He built a slaughter site there to Yahweh who had been seen by him. And I read that and I thought, Animal sacrifices or not? It really only mentions calling on his name and building an altar. And so I'm praying, Lord, if there was anything at all that needed to be slaughtered, what would it be? And I had this thought come in my mind, control. God's given seven beautiful promises to Abraham, and all of it is outside of his control. 
When he and Sarah left their father's house, they gave up control. When would the promises happen? In God's timing. How would the promises happen? By God's supernatural intervention. And remember, that timing, it took patience. It was years before they had that child. Where would they be going? It's God's land. He's going to show them, but he's not going to give them a map. Ah! Step by step, he's going to lead. What would happen? God knew. And there were going to be some side trips along the way. And who's in charge? God's in charge. So that he gets the glory and he gives the guidance. And so as Abraham and Sarah had faith and put their trust in action, they gave up the comfort of the familiar, they take the risk to obey, and they give up control and trust. And they and their descendants see the promises start to be fulfilled, and they experience God's blessings, as do the nations. How does this story apply to us? It applies to us as a congregation, and God's word speaks to us individually. And as we place our faith and our trust in God, then we need to be willing to give up the comfort of the familiar. I'm remembering again Ann Wester's sermon about the withered hand and how God and Jesus chose to work in ways that challenged people because it wasn't familiar. It wasn't what they had seen, and they certainly couldn't control it. As we take the risk to obey, as we give up control and we trust the Lord, we and our descendants are going to see God's promises to this church and to us as individuals realized. And it's going to be a blessing. We're going to be seen as blessed people, and it's going to be a blessing to the nations. I keep getting this prophetic image. It's summertime, and there's a grandpa, and there's a dock, and he's calling the grandkids to jump in the water, and he'll catch them. And, you know, sometimes kids are just, they're not, they just, they trust, and they just will run, and, oh, they're jumping in, and they're splashing, and the grandpa is holding them, and they're laughing, and there's one that's risk-averse. It feels more secure to stand there, even though it looks so fun. And he says, come on, jump, jump, Papa will get you, Papa will get you. And when that little one jumps, and then all of a sudden they want to do it again and again, again, again. Sarah had a nervous laugh until suddenly the promise came true, and she had a laugh of joy. Abraham was having the time of his life at age 100 playing with a newborn. Over time, the blessings that God promised came to be, and they continue to come to be. But it takes God calling and a response of, yes, I'll trust you. Even if I don't understand, I'll come. God's asking us, to obediently follow him wherever he's calling. And throughout this whole, this whole Sunday morning, we've heard this, God is calling, are you willing to go? God is going to ask us to lay down our lives. He's going to ask us to do these things that we don't even know what he's going to do. What will our answer be? Some of you know he's calling. 
you know he's calling you to just jump off the dock of security and let him catch you. Some of you have been sensing that he's calling you to come fully apart and that um, to be fully consecrated to him. You've been kind of walking in two worlds, and you're stuck right now. And I feel like the Lord said, when you put one foot to follow me, you're not going to be able to keep following me until you take that other step forward and that other step forward and that other step forward. And today he's asking you, come, keep coming, keep coming to me. Some of us maybe are still clinging to control. We say we're willing, but we have to know the when and the how and the what and how's it all going to look. And the Lord is asking us to build a slaughter site today and just put to death our need to control and to say, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. Friends, someday we're going to join Abraham and Sarah. We're going to join those who have walked this journey of faith and those that put our trust in God and say yes to his call. We're going to walk a road that we've never walked before. But it's going to seem so familiar as we follow the way into the eternal joy of our home with God forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can be expectant that when you call, that you have good things in store for us. Lord, it was for the joy set before him that Jesus was obedient even unto death. Lord, it was for the walking out of shame that Sarah said yes to following you. It was for the security and the hope and the blessing of the nations that Abram went to a land that only you could show him. And so, Lord, we together want to and we choose to say we will obey when you call. Speak. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen.